Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Unfiltered Discussions. Um, to see who is on the screen, if you don't recognize our lovely faces, uh, please look below into the bios um, in the comments and the description area, and you can learn all about us, probably more than you want. Um, but from here, we're just going to have discussions um, around a topic. Uh, Peter, why don't you uh, lead the way? Thank you, Kelly. So in uh, March of 2020, the world stopped. Well, in many ways, the world stopped. And we all had to create a new way of life. That Even veterinary medicine, which prior to March of 2020, was pretty much in a rut since Noah, the first veterinarian, through James Harriet, the second veterinarian. And, but we, we changed. We went from table side to curbside. So it did prove that veterinary practice can change. We're three years, almost to the day, since the world shut down, and we're starting to move into the next facet of what veterinary medicine will look like. And we have a choice. We can go back to the way things were and get back in the rut, the nice, comfortable, fur-lined rut in which we lived. We can you know, tweak things a little bit to accept some of the changes that COVID brought to us. Or we can really think about what we can change going forward to set the next generation and the legacy for the future of veterinary medicine. Now, there was a study done that indicated that in the brain, when there is a request, when, when the brain is forced to change, the same portion of the brain that is subjected to extreme torture is the same part of the brain that goes through change. So my question to my colleagues is, how torturous is change going to be? What do you see in terms of change from an education standpoint, from a, tele, um, from a technology standpoint, from an access to care standpoint, even from a marketing standpoint? What does change look like as we move forward? And I just will open it up to whomever wants to victimize themselves first. I just think it's great that you worked with both Noah and James Harriet, Peter. I think it's great that you had that kind of training. I think it's <laughs> it's good for all of us to mm -hmm. bring that experience to the group. Thank you, my son. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think change is super interesting in the practice. And, 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 you know, having been through some organized change management, in corporate structure, it's hard for everybody. It's uncomfortable on it, it you know, it, especially if, if that's not, if you don't have the change mindset where you want to be on that kind of change roundabout the whole time, it's really hard. And I think especially in veterinary medicine, I mean, as we look at especially independent practices and so often the ownership um, has been with veterinarians as well. And, and Peter, you know, this, I'm sure you can speak to this as your experience. The work of veterinary medicine is so much more immediate and gratifying than the work of changing a practice sometimes or changing practice protocols. It's, it's in my experience of, of being in practice, it's, it feels like the last thing that anybody wants to do is to find a new way to, you know, change the way you take payment solutions or to integrate, you know, telehealth or to in, install a Cubex or like whatever that thing is. Like it's, you've got to have some serious pain points before you put any, you know, kind of juice behind it to invest in that. So, I think just us as a profession, as psychology is that we could have more important things to do, like saving this life or, you know, working with our teams. Like those things feel so much more immediately gratifying when you talk about the brain and that that endorphin rush of of 
you know, doing a thing that is immediately gratifying, I think that's one of our huge challenges. And I'd leap onto that, Jules, because a lot of times change, like you were saying, pain points, pressures, psychological issues, right? Like something that gets us to move off the dime from our nice, comfortable, you know, fur-lined rut into something new. Um, it takes a lot of effort. I mean, change either that's good or change that is hard is both, you know, difficult to do for us, right? So some of the pressures that we are getting that nobody asked for, for example, like Peter started with COVID, nobody asked for that. And that just shoved us into a new place pretty hard. Um, the same that's happening now that we're seeing with technology. Um, and I'm seeing it in the marketing world, like chat GPT just came out or is becoming hitting the space. Well, what does that mean for us? Like at the last conventions um, in January and February, there were a lot of conversations about AI and what does that mean? Um, how do we um, adapt to that? Plus in marketing too, we're not only adapting to technology, we're adapting to people by age group, typically um, accepting different technology and how they communicate. You know, my 15 year old daughter has now informed me that email is old school. So what do you do as I grow up when they say email is passe and it's old school? What do you do? Right. Um, Sam, what are they you doing just, in school these days? You just, you just write text messages like emails and just sign them the same way. That's that's isn't that what uh, Gen Xers uh, like me do now? We just sign our names to text messages. <laughs> Well, now they communicate in one words like per and perf. And then they have this whole icon thing that they go through. I'm like, can can you like decipher just this whole 10 minute conversation that happened? And they're like, what? You don't get it? And I'm like, no, I don't get it. Like the dog icon with the heart and the unicorn, I'm out. So. Well, we talk about, I mean, I, I want to hear from Sam and Jess, because I think they were both like the different ends of the spectrum on change, right? So Sam's in, in the academic world at the moment and going through vet school. And Jess is on the pointy end of trying to implement change in practice on the telehealth right. side. So fascinating to hear from you guys on, on I mean, academia, you know, loves change. Yeah, well, yeah, so true. Uh, I, You know, it's interesting to think through the technology aspect of just change and change management and the way that different generations are dealing with change. And that comes up a lot in how we're kind of talked to in school around, you know, what what our generation wants from a company or from a, a clinic when we graduate, what we're looking for in terms of benefits, things like that. And so, you know, with the technology aspect coming into the pandemic, there were these kind of like millennialization changes that were happening. Like, it's not like millennials are inherently better at typing a dog emoji and a heart emoji. It's just that they've been through more iterations of technological change throughout their development. And so they're a little maybe quicker to adapt to those new languages, but it's every, it's, you know, it's in every generation, our capacity to adapt to those changes. And so, you know, my mom, like is a perfect example. She was a lactation consultant for 25 years in person every day and then the pandemic happened and before she couldn't even turn a computer on and within three months she was doing telemedicine with people you know on zoom so i think it's just to me it's interesting you know we're dealing with kind of the fallout from uh these changes that were implemented during the pandemic and whether or not we're going to continue to do more curbside-esque telemedicine-esque um, appointments in the hospital or if we're going to go backwards 
But the next phase to me is is kind of like looking at what are those social changes going to look like? And I think the tech industry as a whole is dealing with this in terms of like working from home and whether or not we can continue to provide that type of a benefit for employees. But, you know, this kind of millennialization of what we want out of our work experience is also just a reaction to the world going through many iterative changes like over and over again within my lifetime. And so I think that's sense of wanting stability in an employer and in a culture of the company is all kind of in a lot of ways rooted in that same just ability to grapple with change a little bit differently. I'll I'll chime in there. You know, the the whole idea of these workplaces needing change to adapt to new types of workers, right? Because we're right now in the middle of this whole people don't want to work idea. The clinics that I've been working with that have instituted changes like telehealth or virtual communication into their practices are able to support those types of workers in ways that are actually retaining them and keeping them and making them happy, right? Um, I have one particular clinic I'm thinking of that started doing telehealth um, back over the summer, took them a couple of months to sort of get their feet under them. And they are absolutely killing it now. And they were able to support their clinic through a veterinarian leaving for maternity leave. You know, we have clinics that are now pushing their technicians to instead of four day a week schedules, they're doing three days a week and one day from home. And they're retaining their technicians now because now that tech is able to like do some laundry or, you know, catch up on things in between some of these clinical tasks and have a moment to breathe. And so I I hate to think that implementation of some of these new technologies is going to become a forced function again, like it was with COVID. But I fear that it may, if we don't realize that these technologies are going to be what's required and these changes in how we work are going to be what's required in order to retain our employees, to get new employees, to be able to support this ever-growing pet owner population, uh, to be able to support our own, you know, internal shortages. I think it's going to be completely critical to our success as a profession. And I'm seeing some people that are jumping on it and loving it and others are still kicking and screaming. And was it the workforce pressure that was the tipping point for that practice, Jess? It was not actually. Uh, it was just wanting to try and support their clients in a new way. Um, they did it for a couple of months and then went, wow, like we can we can actually do far more with this. So did not start as a workforce pressure. So to quote Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And where we are is really at a choice. We as a profession can control and determine the changes that we want. Or we as a profession can be changed by the outside influencers, may I say dollar signs, that are coming from private equity, that are coming from other investors from that standpoint. So in the last 20, 25 years, the veterinary profession has been discovered for a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. And outside influencers have truly instituted change for, for practices that they didn't want to make. So we're really at a point in time where it's extremely important for practices at all levels, one doctor, 20 doctor in gen general practice specialty to start take to take control of the changes that they want to see going forward 
and not be victimized or controlled by the outside influencers that would like to put their stamp on the veterinary profession. But, but you've been saying that for 20 years, Peter, and people like Fritz Wood and others talking about whether that's pharmacy or, or different models or whether it's corporate. What what makes what makes this inflection point different? Or, or, do we, or are we saying the same thing that we were 20 years ago and hoping that people get on board? Well, I think there's the uh, that definition of insanity that you just used. But I think what has happened is we showed Yogi, we think, could think, change. I think that was Yogi Bear, not Yogi Bear. Uh, thank difference. you. But it was actually Einstein who was kind of like <laughs> Yogi Bear. Um, but I, I do think that we showed we could change as a result of COVID, which was a forced change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it did show we could change. And now here's the chance for us to control that change. And however we want it to look, and it could be different business models, it could be integration of technology. I would strongly advocate for different edu- different education models, um, different marketing approaches to things. It's mm-hmm. now a great point in time for us to take and decide what we want to look like, repaint the canvas to a different look that we control as a profession and not one that is going to be tube fed upon us going forward. So yes, I've been saying it for a long time, but most of the people who listen to me are deaf. Well, there is that, Peter, Um, but maybe they're listening more now that they've passed on to the great beyond. But I think also, you know, you were talking about the profession as a whole. I would say to every individual hospital, every individual human being listen to this, how do you want to live today? How do you, how much are you willing to change? Because so many people wait for somebody else to push the change on them versus the change coming from within. Like you're totally correct. It's like a boat is on the river. The river's going to float anyway. The river's going to flow. The boat's going to ride on it. Do you want to steer it to the calmer waters in a way that manage you? Or do you want to go screaming over a cliff with a waterfall? We each get to make those choices. But if we wait for somebody else to dictate the change for us, then you lose that choice. But each one of us gets to make that change. I think that that example was very well shown with telehealth with COVID everybody thought that they needed telehealth right when the pandemic started. And a lot of these telehealth companies were suddenly swamped with hundreds of clinics that thought they needed to do telehealth immediately. And I will say that of all of those clinics, 95% are not doing telehealth today because they were forced to make a change in a time that they were stressed, didn't understand what they were doing. Now, here we are three years later you know, we saw the telehealth go up at the pandemic, everyone jumped off. And now three years later, we're seeing people start to pick it back up again. And it's those people that are choosing to do it rather than those who are having it forced upon them. And those who are choosing to do it are having some really remarkable results um, in a lot of different ways. So I, I think that choice to make the change really is a critical part of that idea. And and do you think so? Do you think that curve is the early adopters who are early adopters of most things. Like, again, if we look at that curve of, you know, the majority of people who will pick something up once it's become popular or been proven to them, is there a way, you know, just to to move that curve to the left to try and see that early adoption? Is it through stories of success? Is it through getting in from the education side? Is it through 
just having more better conversations about it? I think it's yes to all of those things. I think it's having folks like Sam in academia who are educating fellow students about technologies and new things that are coming up because I'm excited for two or three years from now when we have all of these students coming in that they want this change and they mm -hmm. want to be able to do, you know, work from home and telehealth and things like that. Um, but I'll, I'll say too that a lot of these clinics that are coming on aren't necessarily what I would consider an early adopter. Um, you know, they understood Zoom well enough that they think they can understand the rest of this pretty well, too. And we have more clinics than I expected um, that don't really have a great grasp on technology, but are willing to figure it out. Um, yeah. So not not all early adopters. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, it goes back just to the fact that if if telehealth and technology had been integrated prior to COVID, where there was a ramp up period before an additional forced change, people would have been able to integrate it in a in a fashion where they were in control. They responded and reacted to the need, but they weren't prepared. I think what, what we're talking about here is it's time to be proactive so that we are holding the reins of the horse and the horse isn't running by itself. Correct. More choices too. The sooner you step up to the plate and make your choice today, the more choices more opportunities you have or a bigger basket of choices that you have to choose from versus if you let that horse go down the road a little ways, you might find it in a stream or in a place that maybe the options aren't as, um, I can't even think of words today, you know, prolific. So how do you want to live? You know, today it goes back to that. Um, so, so Sam, as the as the youngest kid on the block here, you're the one who has the greatest opportunity to be a change agent going forward. Wrap up the discussion on change with what you would like to see going forward and, you know, what message you want to get to the listeners about change from that standpoint. I think uh, when when I'm pondering that giant task you just put on my shoulders. Um, it really comes down to just a curiosity for change. You know, if I, if I talk to practices that are positive, that the way they do things is the way that they should be done and will be done, I'm a lot less enticed to get to know what that really looks and feels like than I am a practice that is actually open to the curiosity that can exist around change. And so the market forces that you're talking about that have existed in different ways, shapes and forms over the last 20 years, in some of our cases, in the last 20,000, in Peter's case, you know, really the hesitancy to, to adapt is, is a reluctancy towards curiosity. And so this forced curiosity that we all got purged with through the pandemic maybe did help bring some 5% in Jess's example over into a change mindset. But I think we need to continue to inspire each other to make room for curiosity in the way that we're running our business and our teams and vet schools and, you know, panels and discussions. Wonderful. Well, this um, concludes our episode one of unfiltered discussions amongst us all. 
We look forward to providing another thoughtful discussion in episode two that will be forthcoming in future date and time to be determined. Until then, we all wish you the best and we encourage you to contemplate the word change. Thank you for listening today.